Today's episode is a very special episode of the Achieve Podcast. We hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome to a very special episode of our Achieve Podcast. I'm Jesse Johns. And I'm Trent Kelsey. Hey, Trent, uh, how often do we have our president of Three Rivers College come to this podcast? Not often, and not often do we record right inside the president's office, so this is a big, uh, this is a big moment for us. Well, y'all just hear it. Today, as you may have heard, we're in the president's office. Today, we are interviewing Dr. Wesley Payne. How's it going, Dr. Payne? It's going well. I'm glad to be here with you. Good, good. Glad to hear it. We're glad to have you on. To get things started with, we're kind of curious uh, about the day-by-day life and responsibilities of being president of Three Rivers College? Well, the day-to-day life, fairly busy. Uh, (laughs) There's always something going on, but it's very rewarding, very enjoyable. One of the things I like the most about what we do is being able to interact with students. So when you think about what the role of the college is and what our work is, why we're here, why we exist, If you really boil it down, it's to build a better future for people that come here. They're looking for something better later on than what maybe their parents experienced or maybe what they thought was possible for themselves. Being able to interact with those students and find out that they're having a positive experience with us is extremely rewarding. And when you think about what a person is trusting us with, you understand the importance of the work that we do. Speaking as a first-generation college student myself, I can say that that's what it's all about. Yeah, and if some of the previous episodes of DG podcast, like uh, like Trenton is, I'm I'm a first-generation college student. I personally never thought I would be a student through college ever. <laughs> I uh, I just got uh, just encouragement uh, from some of my teachers at the Northern High School. That's where I'm from, and. Uh, they think I could have done it because the this building I got, and they think, Jesse, I think you can do this, and and I, I said okay. Then I went up and uh, took the activator and had to get everything straight, and here I am today. And I I came from such a small school, and I I know you did too, Jesse. And making that transition from high school to college, it it can really feel like you're heading to a place that's much bigger, much more, much uh, faceless to an extent. But I understand that that's that's not really the case here at Three Rivers. You. You, you usually or always have your uh, door open to your office, is that right? Absolutely. So part of the goal here at Three Rivers is to be not that place where a student is just a number or just another student. We want to be able to know our students, know what their needs are, provide the support that they need. We want to be open. We want to be accessible. We want to have and have small class sizes so that the people you're interacting with, you know their name, they know your name, they know your particular circumstances. Our entire operational standpoint is student first. So what does this particular student need? How do we support this student going through? Everybody has a different set of circumstances. I was a first-generation student. My mother never went to college. My father was a factory worker, and they gave me a lot of encouragement. I'll never forget my father told me. He goes, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with what I do. If this is what you want to do, then that's perfectly fine. But you may want to consider that there's an easier way to earn your living than carrying around 20 pounds of tools Mm -hmm. in a factory. So... I went down that path. I actually came late. As a student, I came very early to college. As far as a career, I came very late to that. Uh, My first career was as a pilot. I was a flight instructor, flew charters, flew cargo. And the way that transition occurred is after years of doing that, just as I was viable to start looking at airline jobs, (laughs) which is every pilot's pretty much that's what the goal is, Um, I had friends that were airline pilots who had 27-year seniority who had been on furlough for two years. Where's furlough? Uh, Furlough is basically you're laid off. Oh, okay. okay. So they had been not flying for quite a while, and the industry was in a really big slump. Somewhere along that path, I had taught a class, and I enjoyed teaching. 
I enjoyed the interaction with students. It, uh, flight instruction is a very one-on-one instructional process. There's an instructor and there's a pilot, and you go through your process. You don't want them to just uh, just jump right into it, right? Well, you know, <laughs> you, you would be surprised how much a new pilot actually does on their own with the instructor present day one. Uh, but, of course, college instruction is a group process. So right. you're sitting there with 20 or 30 students, and so it's a little bit different, but it's very rewarding. And I enjoyed that work. So in between being a pilot and actually being a teacher full time, I did a number of other things. But what I found is looking back, that brought a lot of experience and real world application to the educational environment. And we look at that constantly uh, as an institution is how we're doing it. How does that compare to what other institutions do? How does that compare to how other things happen outside of the world of education? So trying to learn things and build efficiencies into what we're doing, but always keeping in mind that our work centers around the student and making that student experience popular uh, or beneficial and keeping that student satisfied. There's always touch points in that, though. So maybe sometimes what a person needs is not what they want at that moment. So you have to learn how to navigate that patch of rough water so that that student comes out the other side with better understanding of why we're going through this process or why this thing happened. In the end, what you're wanting is greater success for that student. So how does it feel to become the president of Three Rivers College? Well... Looking back, I, I was here since 2009. I came as the Vice President of Instruction. So I was the Chief Academic Officer. And then in two, 2014, uh, the Board of Trustees asked if I would serve as the Interim President. That happened relatively suddenly. And I think it's generally like moving from one position to, a ne- to the next. You have told yourself all along, well, I'm ready to take that step. And then when you actually sit in the seat, you go, well, that was a little different than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, So you experience different things that until you actually do it, you're not really aware of that's what the experience was going to be. You know, I I compare it to what happened with our men's basketball program sometimes. Uh, We had uh, Coach Bess retired after 50 years here, and the assistant coach was selected as the uh, new head coach. And, you know, there's, there's just about a foot of distance between those two seats, right? Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I said, well, how'd that one-foot move go? And he goes, that was a lot further away than I thought it was. <laughs> Great analogy. <laughs> and he had been the assistant coach for 27 years. But when you're the person that, in the end, as Harry Truman said, the buck stops here, it, uh, it's a little surprising sometimes how that impacts you. One of the biggest advantages we have here is we've got such a great team. I'm a true believer that everybody at the institution matters and no one is more important than anyone else. Everybody has a role to do and that role impacts how a student experiences us. And it doesn't matter whether you're cutting the grass or teaching physics, all of it is important. Exactly, it has, exactly. To, it has to all work together like a, like a big machine. Absolutely. Yeah, and because I thought when I came here, I thought, I don't, I don't know what I'll do because I think I'm on my own, but no. You got some programs that really care about your success, and they, and they want you to succeed, and you're not, you're not the only one. It's all, everybody's family here. Well, and that's one of the things we talk about a lot. Um, any, anything that you are part of, mm-hmm. you become very familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. So you're very comfortable in that environment. Right, exactly. Uh, so you came from Naylor. That's right. You came from Neelyville. So y'all both came from small schools. Yes. So in a small school, small town, everybody knows everyone. We're not scary to us <laughs> because we're used to us. Yeah, We're right. used to our environment. What we talk about a lot is don't forget how intimidating our environment is to a brand new student. So you don't know what to expect. You have built some image in your mind. Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, 
But when you step on the campus, you don't know where to go first, right? Exactly. You don't know what the process is. You don't know what this thing is. We have to be there to help you through that process, but to teach you how that process works. So part of the experience with any college is learning how to be a student. It's that next step, right? Learning how to operate in the environment that you have suddenly been put in. I take pride in all the work that everyone here has done in making that transition as easy as possible. So years ago, and we look at student satisfaction surveys a lot, and the information that you guys tell us about how we're doing from your perception. You know, times in the past we had some very low scores as far as what students thought about the way we did financial aid, the way the uh, advising process worked, a number of different things. So we actually got together and we focused on those things and tried to improve them. And now we consistently get well above 90% satisfaction from our students in those surveys for those processes. And there's two main times that we survey students. We do a registration survey at the end of registration, both fall and spring, right? And then we do graduation survey. Well, if you think about the timing of those, the graduation survey, of course, is all the way at the end, and it's a long-term look back from the student standpoint of how did this work. Personally, I expect those results to be the highest they're going to be. You're a graduate, we're doing it at the time, you know you're going to graduate, you should be happier at this moment than you are at any time in your process. But think about registration. At most institutions, the registration period and the registration process is where all the frustration points come out. Well, I had a bill I didn't know about, I had a grade I didn't know about, I had this, I had that, I've run into this problem, this class isn't available. There is a myriad of things and there's a lot of processes that you have to go through to get registered for class. Well, we focused on those processes and we said, what are the barriers to our students getting through this easily and understanding what's going on? And we systematically worked on two distinct things. Our interactions with students, you know, that interpersonal aspect of it, and the processes themselves to streamline them and make it as easy as possible. And we picked points in the semester where, okay, we know registration is open now. We've got ACAD classes. Why aren't we going into the ACAD classes and getting students registered right there? We know where they are. Their faculty member can help them. Learning how to go through this process as part of the ACAD class worked beautifully. But training ourselves how you deal with someone that is experiencing frustration or someone that is experiencing an issue and how you de-escalate that and make it better how you interact with that person was a very important component of that so you know it's one thing to be frustrated it's another thing to be frustrated and someone go okay come here I'm gonna fix this problem but we need to just focus on what's going on I know you're frustrated let's work through this versus getting bounced around from office to office to office, which is going to end up frustrating you more. Mm -hmm. I found myself feeling that the other day. I was, I'm in the, I'm a, I'm graduating, so I'm in the transfer process right now. And I was trying to get a hold of the, the, the school that I'm transferring to and um, something with their office hours. I wasn't able to get a hold of everybody. And I, I, I did, I found myself getting frustrated, but then I, I went over, I just went over to the university center. Somebody was there. They sat me down, talked me through the whole thing, and I was like, "Well, that was easy. I, that, that's that's all I need to know, and it's 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 totally resolved now." Yeah, I'm getting ready to graduate this semester too, and some things uh, can be frustrating, but sometimes uh, they can be easy fix. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's another way that we're different. So we created the university center to make the transition easier, to provide those baccalaureate options right here at home. A lot of schools just go, okay, you graduated, thanks. Go off, figure it out for your next institution. We want to bridge that gap. Even if you want to transfer to an institution that is not a member of the university center, we'll help you make that connection. Your advisor will go, okay, where do you want to go? Well, Ole Miss. 
okay, so let's call Ole Miss and see if we can't get you set up with someone to talk to. But it's that idea of providing that support and helping hand. It's not that we haven't trained you how to do that by now. By the time you graduate, every student understands the process well enough to go, well, I need to call down there. I need to get hooked up with an advisor. I need to figure this out. But it's just one more thing we can try and make a little smoother than it was before. It makes our success better. It makes your success better. And long term, it's better for our community. Because everybody that goes here that has a positive experience is going to tell someone they're probably going to remain in our community. Mm. They're going to raise a family in the community. And down the road, we want you to send your kids to Three Rivers College. As you were talking about the University Center getting that gap, did you have some of our goals uh, for the college when you became the president? Absolutely. The overarching goal that I had when I became president and I still have that goal today is I want us to be the absolute most student-focused, learning-focused, best institution that exists. So a lot of different presidents look and they go, oh, I want to be the largest. I want to have the most growth. I want to have this. I'm a firm believer if, that if you take care of the quality piece, if students are having positive experience, achieving positive outcomes, succeeding when either they transfer or when they go into the workforce, all of those other things take care of themselves to one degree or another. But if you take care of being a quality institution and you strive for excellence in everything you do, a lot of things happen because of that. You have a lot of positive results when you focus on the fundamentals and just keep working the plan. We're very data-driven. We are very planning-oriented. We are mission-centric. So we understand our mission. We follow our mission. We develop every five years a strategic plan that supports that mission. That plan then guides our annual planning and budgeting process, and it moves us forward. So being proactive, being ahead of an issue actually gives you the ability to react more appropriately when the unexpected happens. I understand that you're a busy man and you're always actively and consistently involved in just the functions of the college. So what are some of the great changes that you've seen since you've taken on this important role? I think some of the great changes that I've seen uh, really focus around how everyone here has come together as a team. Uh, I've talked about how everyone that has a role of the co at the college is just as important as everyone else. Just because I'm the president doesn't make what I do more important than what anybody else does. I am actually feel honored and humbled to work with people this great. The people that we have working here all are focused on helping our students. Helping our students build a better future a better life and to reach their goals in life and we get a lot of reward from being successful around that so that that greatest change that I have seen is really cultural in nature we've become much more team supportive so we help each other to help our students we try not to leave anyone behind or out there struggling either on the student side or the employee side we want to come together and address things in a oneness that you don't find in a lot of other institutions. Uh, so that change was very significant in my mind. Some of the other changes, we've uh, done great work together in building fiscal stability. There's been great work done on catching up on maintenance on our facilities and improving the classroom environment, the college environment. Uh, we've become more efficient and more businesslike in our backside operations, you know, the things that students really don't see. Mm -hmm. So being more efficient on the things behind the curtain, if you will, give us time and ability to address the important things that are on the front side and student facing. 
you know, I'm a believer that it's, it's an ecosystem. Everything fits together. So if the sidewalks don't work, then the classroom doesn't work. If the parking lot's not, not lit and a student doesn't feel safe or an employee doesn't feel safe, then they're going to carry that into their classroom or into their interactions with each other. So your environment is an important part of how people behave and how people act. So we had a lot of maintenance issues that had not been addressed. This is not unusual at, at schools. And we've been very fortunate that together we could apply a lot of fixes to that. Yeah, I totally believe that too. Sometimes it is just the little things that you don't think about, but it makes it makes a huge difference just just uh, creating a whole, a whole like aura for the environment, so to say. Yeah, um, I I got told sometimes the little things are the ones are going to get you through. Kind of like how it is a basketball game. Uh, to win a basketball game, you have to do the little things. If that makes sense. Yeah, uh, that's just remind me a lot. In a basketball game, if you want to win the game, you got to do the little things. Kind of like, kind of like how it is here at Three Rivers College. If you want to pass your classes, if you want to be successful, you got to do the little things. Well, you know, the interesting thing that you say about passing your classes. So we look at the data. Students that actually show up to class every day, they are significantly more likely to pass a class. <laughs> <laughs> now that sounds so obvious, right? Right. right. But there's this whole mindset of college that. And a lot of colleges are like that. It's like, well, it's, you know, it's up to you. You show up, you show up. You don't, you don't. If you can get the work, that's fine. If you can't, well, common sense tells you that you got to be in it to win it. So if you're not showing up for class, the chances of you actually being able to obtain that material, it goes down. Yeah. So one of the things we did institutionally was the faculty, after discussing this a lot, went, well, how about we just focus on telling them how important it is? So you've probably experienced this in your classes. Faculty are constantly reminding students, now you need to come to class, you need to stay focused, you need to show up, you've got to be here. Mm -hmm. uh, if you miss class, it's not unusual around here for you to get a call going, hey, you missed class. What's going on? Coming back to class tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Are you, you know, that's part of our strategy to increase student success. Yeah is communicating, no, no, this is important. A lot of students come to college and they experience a level of freedom with their education that they have never experienced before, right? So you're in elementary school, you're in high school, they tell you exactly where to be, when to be there, where to go next, everything is controlled, structured, and done, right? Right. You get to college like, so, what classes do you want? When would you like to take those? Right. And then you've got to figure out on your own, oh, yeah, I've got class Tuesday at 10. And, <laughs> right. And I need to be sure and, and get that. All of a sudden, it's a new level of responsibility that's been transferred. And many colleges look at this and go, well, they're adults. We're not, we're not responsible for telling them that. My response to that statement is nothing magical happened between May and August. From May when they graduated at their high school from August when they came here there was not a lot of time for maturation. You know, they didn't grow up any more than they were in, in general. This is just a human characteristic. We're trained to behave in certain ways. Yeah. So we have to be retrained when we move to a new environment. It was a saving grace to me, it really was, because I graduated class of 2020, and um, you know, getting cut off halfway through your senior year, you don't have a whole lot of people to talk to about making that transition, especially when that year is always, you know, significant to student any, anyways, having it, having only half of it, and then going through the whole lockdown and uh, mm -hmm. trying to figure out college, I, uh, I wasn't able to speak with my, my counselor or anything like that, but I showed up here and I was able to get it all, all uh, done. But yeah, yeah, showing up to class, like it, uh, it, I, I always try to show up. Uh, it it kind of pains me like when I miss it. I, I, I feel like I'm like I've taken two steps back. And I, I do have a class that's uh, like Zoom optional. So mo most most students are, you know, on the screen. It's usually just like me and another guys in, in, in the classroom there. But I think t to me personally, it makes all the difference just being in the environment. Well, for me, uh, when it comes to missing class, I, 
I only missed like two classes. Just some, and throughout my college student experience, I only a couple times during the fall of 2020 semester uh, during this COVID, and uh, kind of like how Trent said when everything got shut down because the the coronavirus starts first started. I didn't know what to do because I was taking transitional classes and I was having a hard time trying to get through transitional math because it was everything was all module mm-hmm. and I was trying to get some help the best I could and I volunteered in the learning center on distance I helped help me out a little bit and had some people that family members that know math kind of helped me out a little bit kind of get what this and and that's how um, how I got through it but um, oh geez <laughs> yeah it's hard enough as a first year college student as a first generation college student as a high school senior to figure all that stuff to begin with and then you just add that on top of it so the pandemic added a level of complication yes uh-huh. to what we do that was really incredible and that was just really our latest crisis in a semester that did not start without crisis okay so in january of that year we started with a dorm fire took out six dorm suites it it <sighs> burned one but it flooded everything below it okay? oh, i didn't hear about that were you there for that jesse um i think i heard something about that i think i heard that some fire got caught and yes yeah. yes someone was um experienced a grease fire mm-hmm. in uh in their dorm kitchen and it triggered the fire suppression system. Well, if you've wonder, ever wondered how much water comes out of a fire suppression system, I can tell you it's a lot. It's a lot of water very quickly. Of course, it was an apartment on the third floor of housing, so it flooded that apartment and then it begins to drain down, right? Right. So it floods the two levels below it as well. So we had to remodel Three, there were some adjustments. We got all the students taken care of. Luckily, no one was hurt. Uh, we now do a lot more fire training and fire prevention, um, fire prevention training in housing than we did prior to that. Uh, and then that's in January, right? Mm-hmm. So February, we get hit with a cyber attack. Yeah, that's a lot. I do remember <laughs> hearing about that. Yeah. That was no fun. So, like, I think it was February 23rd, we get hit with that. In three weeks, though, we were able to recover and become operational again. So we lost two weeks of instruction right before spring break. Spring break was week three. And then the Monday after spring break, we come back. Well, by the time we come back on that Monday after spring break, it's obvious the pandemic is really ramping up. And it's obvious that we don't know when, but it's a fair certainty that we're going to end up going to remote instruction. We're not going to be able to do traditional face-to-face instruction in the light of all this. So we actually had an emergency faculty meeting that first Monday back. And we talked about it and I said basically the same thing I've said to you two. And the faculty's response was, how sure are you? that we're going to be forced into remote instruction. I said, I'm, I'm not sure at all when. I believe it's going to be relatively soon, but I'm 100% certain based on what I'm seeing yeah. that sometime this semester we're going to be pushed into that. Their response was, well, instead of waiting for someone to tell us this is what we have to do, let's start now planning, pick a date, and go that way on our own take charge of the situation so that we're ahead of this and we immediately changed that meeting to faculty working in groups about okay what's our instructional plan how are we going to do with this and they actually decided seven days after that was when we were going to go to remote instruction because in that week they all believed that they could be in contact with all of their students inform them what the plan was get them set up solve any initial problems that were going to be solved and then successfully move a week later. That is an incredible turnaround for any educational institution. Yeah, I was just thinking the whole cyber attack, that must have been a crazy three weeks and then that. That was extremely stressful and it was absolutely crazy. We were very fortunate. We were able to restore from backups. We did not have an exfiltration of any of our data. 
uh, but it was all encrypted, so we had to go to the backups to get data back. Yeah. Um, and really the end of that spring 2020 semester was exceptionally chaotic. You know, we're learning how to do remote instruction. We had some faculty who were not technically advanced, but they partnered with a faculty member that was so that everybody got through it. You know, that's that teamwork coming out again. Again, everybody works together to make sure it runs smoothly. Everybody working together to make sure that the student is taken care of. Everybody working together to make sure that everybody is supported. Then we made the determination that in summer we weren't going to do remote instruction. We would use our existing online classes and offer a fully online semester for the summer. So no face-to-face -face classes in the summer. But what we did was we took that time between going remote and fall starting up to develop a fully thought out plan of how we were going to return in the fall. Now we're watching what everybody else is doing and we're kind of evaluating how everybody else is responding to this. Some of what other people were doing we felt made sense and were good things that we could do as well. Some of it made no sense to us because of our environment. We live in a very rural environment. You get very far out of town, high-speed internet somewhat difficult to get. Yeah, I know that's a big obstacle for yeah, some yeah. people. You, you get out in Carter County or out in Wayne County, parts of Ripley County, it's just not available. So us continue to, continuing to successfully operate remotely really was not an option for us. We were going to leave too many students unserved. And they're vulnerable populations. They're first-generation students. They're students from backgrounds that aren't education-focused. Uh, and that's, they're socioeconomically disadvantaged. So, you know, they don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of resources. And that's our student population for the most part. That's the majority of our students. Well, we were not going to be able to do remote instruction. So we partnered with the health department, local medical professionals, and we made sure that we had a safe plan to come back. We came back with an entire cleaning regiment that we were going to do uh, hand sanitizer everywhere, uh, all of these little things. And the big linchpin to all of that was that very strict masking requirement. Masks yeah. being available everywhere. I, Handing that was a big masks, part of it. Masks being available, making sure that everyone actually wore the mask and wore it correctly. We didn't get a lot of pushback on that. We had a lot of discussions about, oh, we're going to have a lot of trouble enforcing this. Everybody just went, okay, if this is what we got to do, this is what we've got to do. I'm on board. Yeah. And our results speak for themselves. So I think we had between 700 and 750 in instances of either someone COVID positive or being quarantined because of exposure. But outside of housing, we only had three cases that we could track back to, okay, someone got it here and you caught it here. Right. So our plan worked, but it was stressful and it was difficult, especially on the faculty. Because all of a sudden, and that's where you know Zoom available, right. that's where that started. That's where Zoom advising started. That's where a lot of the remote technologies that we used. We were on the way to developing these, but where we responded differently than most other colleges is we pulled out our strategic plan. We focused on our mission and we thought about how do we respond in ways that number one, address what we're facing with the pandemic, but number two, actually push us forward with regard to what we're already planning to do. And never lose sight of that right. goal. And never lose sight of where you're going. So we had already had a plan to increase online instruction. Well, the pandemic just acted as an accelerator for that. So we doubled down on what we were planning to do anyways. 
because that allowed students that weren't comfortable or able, maybe, to access face-to-face -face instruction to come in and access education, albeit through the internet or Zoom. This whole idea of synchronous online classes, you know, Zoom classes, we weren't thinking that, but that came out of our response to the pandemic. That's a great idea. Yeah, We'll mm -hmm. just keep that and make that go mm -hmm. forward. So you take away the parts as you get out of crisis mode. You take away the parts that weren't additive, that were responsive in nature, necessary, but not something we have to continue forever. And you let those go. But you look at the pieces that actually were helpful or had benefits that you were not aware prior to doing them, and you keep those. So it's focusing on that mission and focusing on that plan and moving forward. Uh, since the pandemic started and everybody's being quarantined because because of COVID, you know, exposure or whatever, uh, I know I know that year, 2020 through spring of 2021, was an extremely difficult year because, because people, because I can tell faculty and staff has to keep track. So I realized there were seating charts in the classrooms. Mm -hmm. oh, sorry, 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 teachers, I got to call you guys out. <laughs> but no, because uh, I like I was like I did respect because just because like for Trent, for instance, like say like Trent, you're sitting next to me and you got COVID and also hey, they got quarantined me because I was near you. Basically, like I respect the whole decision that they had in the classrooms. Oh yeah, that was uh, part of what the plan was. So to be able to really track how it effective the masking and the plan that we were executing was we needed to know what the exposure looked like mm -hmm. right so that's where the seating charts came from now seating charts in college are not popular things uh, this is one of the big benefits that people see in colleges I get to sit wherever I want mm -hmm. uh, but we had to impose a seating chart as part of the plan because it's Jesse it's exactly like what you said if Trent comes down and you're sitting next to him we want to be watching you mm. to see whether or not you pop positive. Yeah. Well, the fact that that didn't happen is what informed us that the plan was working. Exactly. So it was an evaluative mechanism in that as well. It was logistical and evaluative. Yeah, no matter how you feel about the, the rules, the regulations, the policies, it, it, it's better than the alternative of the going completely remote. That's what I like most about uh, just being in the classroom and the learning environment. Like we were saying, it's it, it really is just about being part of the college. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's night and day, uh, at, at least for me. Oh, yeah. Well, we looked at it and we really evaluated how we were going to approach this. And I think we all firmly believed and remain uh, with this thought had we had to go to complete remote instruction, we would have lost so many students that we should be serving that we, it would have been so damaging, not just to the institution, but mm -hmm. especially to those students. Mm -hmm. We had to find a way. And I would get some pushback from you know outside force and go, why are you doing this? And my response would be, we're doing what we have to do to be able to serve our students. And we're going to continue to do whatever we have to do to serve our students. And they understand that, and we understand that, and we're okay with what we're doing. Speaking more generally, uh, tell us about some of your interests. Oh, I have a heavy interest in aviation. I always have. Uh, I still like to read aviation books. I'm an avid reader of just about everything. Uh, I used to read a lot heavier stuff, uh, biographies, nonfiction works. I still read some of that, but I find that uh, given all of the the day-to-day -day stuff that I do, I have a tendency to go to more towards things that don't require a lot of brain power for pleasure reading. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more into novels, and um, I, I have a fairly large collection of e-books, and I have a tendency to read them multiple times because it's a mind distraction and you know it just doesn't take much and I can lose myself in that book and kind of decompress from from the day love movies um, love being with my wife and grandbabies 
Uh, that's, that's nice. That's yeah. always fun. How many kids do you have? One. You have, have one daughter. She's a kindergarten teacher. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's nice. Uh, she's a graduate of the University of Southern Florida. Uh, she was actually a broadcast journalism major. Okay. And graduated about 2008. Uh, she sent out 400 different resume packages. Never could find that job in that field that she really wanted. Uh, really? You, you have to think about 2008. 2008 was when the big economic meltdown happened. Right. So she's out trying to find a job when they're cutting staff left and right. Also a huge moment of uh, technological change in that industry. So before to do an interview, it took three people. You know, it took two camera people and a reporter. So it was a team of three that went out, and then it became a team of two. And the way that works now is here's your camera and here's your uh, prop for the camera. Go out and do some reporting. You're all on your own. Yeah. So the number of personnel involved was greatly reduced. And one day she called her mom and I, and she goes, you know, I'm thinking about uh, becoming a teacher. And we were just really surprised because <laughs> it had never been a discussion before that, you know, oh, I'm, this is where I want to go. It's always this different direction. It's very different, yeah. Yes, yeah. and now she's in her ninth year. She's the lead kindergarten teacher at the school that she teaches at. She does a wonderful job. It's made a, just a wonderful teacher. But it's been a learning experience. She went through an alternate route for certification where you go back to college and you take a limited number of classes, you have to sit for the test. But what she's learned actually in the classroom doing the job is, right. is pretty tremendous. So, yeah, focus is on kindergarten. Yeah, she had two grandkids. One will be uh, four and a half, and the other one is two and a half. So, Wow, that's awesome. That's great. I know you said you love movies and yeah. I'm a huge movie nerd myself, yeah. so I have to ask. We all we all are. Yeah. So what well, what are, what are oh, some of your favorites? Ask my some yes. of my favorite movies, The Godfather. Oh yeah. I, uh, I never watched that movie, so. Oh, good lord, you have you to. Have to I, know, I know. I know. Uh how you know, you're full grown now. You need to go watch <laughs> The Godfather. I'm only 20 years old, uh, so. Well, either way, <laughs> That's full. you you cannot live 20 years and have not seen The Godfather. Uh, there is a series out right now on Paramount Plus called yes. The Offer. Have you have you watched that? No, I haven't watched that. I I've watched I saw it. So, I actually rewatched this past weekend all three Godfather. Okay. You know, watched the entire I just power watched it. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and Paramount did a nice job. I love that cuz there's no commercials. Um, but yeah, and this is going to sound really old, but I love John Wayne movies and old westerns. Uh, um, dad was a big John Wayne guy. My, my dad too. So. Feels like a very dad thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a dad thing. Uh, I, I love um, Stagecoach. Uh, yeah. Stagecoach, yeah, uh, The Wayne. Searchers, yes. Mm -hmm. The Searchers was very good. The Cowboys is one of my favorites. Oh, I haven't seen uh, that one. I'll check it out. The movie... If I can remember correctly, I watched John Wayne. It was a uh, green, the Green Beret. Yep. Oh. Yeah. yeah, we watched that in uh, in the in the study class. <laughs> oh, okay. So it was really G. So might as well. So. And then beyond that, I I like superhero movies. So the <laughs> hey. the X Men, the Marvel oh. Universe. Yes. You know all of those. Although, my wife and I tried to watch the Batman, the new one. Oh really? Yeah, we didn't make it all the way through. It's pretty long. Uh, yeah. did, did you it, watch? it was just not the right feel for me. Yeah. For, and she looked at me and she goes, you know, this is pretty dark and depressing. I really don't feel like watching this right now. I went, I'm not into it either. Let's just watch something else. Yeah, I right. totally understand that. It is It is a very divisive movie because I know, like me personally, I loved it. Jesse's kind of you're, you're on the fence about it. It was okay. Uh, I watched the Batman Theaters. Uh, it was okay, but it wasn't. I kind of like what you said. It's kind of dark and it's kind of... It's not the Batman that you respect, you know. Okay, so my favorite Batman series is the one with Christian Bale. Right, the Dark Christian Knight Man. trilogy. The Dark yeah. Knight trilogy. Me too. I think that was done very, very well. It was. The new one is very true to the original comic, but I didn't experience the original comic. Right. right. I can recognize that, okay, yes, this is more like an old-timey detective story mm -hmm. than a superhero story. The superhero piece is a layer on the detective story from what I can, from my perception. I like the more pure super 
hero. Now, what I've loved in recent times is all of the new backstory movies. Yeah. So, like, um, Dracula Untold. Oh, okay. I've I, I seen that movie once. Uh, we were just talking about that. They were going to combine that with the uh, Tom Cruise Mummy movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Me trying, oh, wow. We're, we're talk, yeah. yeah, we're talking about some of the stuff they're trying to start up. Kind of like how the remake of The Mummy with Tom Cruise in it. I think they were trying to start this monster universe series but it just gotcha. didn't work yeah, out yeah ever since marvel did it everybody's trying to t- take what they can to, yeah right well it's it's all about how do i make the next thing that'll sell um also you know i i love a lot of different genres but i love live performance as well okay so I'm a big theater guy music performance guy that's me um you know we've got the patron of the art series here at the at the college that's yeah. all community supported so the community actually funds that it's funded through sponsors memberships donations and that brings stuff to southeast missouri that people would never experience otherwise and it brings it at a very affordable rate so a ticket to a patron show is 15 dollars. right these are the exact same shows that were in kansas city or st louis that you would pay minimum $60, $70 to go see for a ticket. But they're coming right here to Poplar Bluff, right here at Three Rivers College. So we bring a diversity uh, inclusion to our community of different cultures. So if you've looked at, we always try and hit different cultural genres. We always try and hit uh, things that are significant along with things that are just purely entertaining right to, to draw the crowds yeah. and the pandemic had a huge impact on that so we yeah. had we lost one entire season but in the whole mindset of follow the plan work the plan always try and make lemonade when you're handed lemons we looked at it and went so what should we be doing we had always planned to update the theater so we took our down season we renovated the theater Okay. So when we were able to put a new season on, it was in a brand new updated space that just blew everybody away. And we did the vast majority of that work in-house. It looks so good. I I, I actually uh, came to Three Rivers and I uh, got a job as a work-study position in a theater. So I I was there whenever, well, I was there uh, as we were doing Trek the Musical. And then after that, everything kind of slowed down, started renovating. I painted all the, uh, all the oh, what do you call it, the lining, the uh, the trim. Oh yeah. The, the trim, the gold trim, and uh, yeah, just it, a, a lot, a lot went into it. But I, I can't even remember what it looked like before. It, it looks so good now. Yeah. It, it looks and feels like a very nice theater space. Right. Yes. Before it, when I first got here, it very much had a little bit of a auditorium feel exactly yeah and now it feels like a theater it's got that warmth it's got that closeness that that adds to a live performance but being able to bring those live performances back so shrek was the last show we did before we shut down the season right yeah then when this year came and we had a huge season plan that we executed but I had no sooner signed the last contract to book those shows than the variant ramped back up and it was like now what and so Mm -hmm. we all got together and went we're going to go on we're already contracted we've already lost one season we're going to put it out there and see how we went. It's impacted attendance. It, it really has mm-hmm. for two reasons. I think there's still some people that are fearful to get out. But I think for the most part, people have been trained to stay home. Yeah. And it increased the opportunities for them to access it, entertainment at home so you don't have to go out. You know, I don't know that movie theaters are ever going to be the same. I know. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, it, it is the little things. Once yeah. again, uh, when we did Shrek, that, that show, it, it was so good. And we had, we had a good amount of attendance, but 
they the the cast members weren't getting, weren't getting the appreciation the applause that they really deserved you know with the masks there's not a whole lot of you know cheering there's not a whole people just I, I mean I'm sure they're there enjoying the show but it's just it feels different and it should have been they they should have gotten a lot more than what they worked so hard to achieve yeah oh yeah well our attendance was overall about 30% of what it should have been or what it would have been in a normal time. So the cast members don't get the feedback from the audience and that feedback and that input from the audience impact your performance. Yeah. So the louder that crowd is cheering, the more they're involved and they feel or the cast member gets the feeling that they're really into it the better you perform because you're energized from it. I, uh, th since y'all mentioned the audience and the, uh, the, the tennis center, uh, I know, I know it was earlier because actually the movie theaters didn't, uh, they had a mass mandate when they opened back up. So there weren't really a whole lot of people or attendance in the movies because, because of the whole mass mandate. And I think during the summertime of 2021, they uploaded the mass. It was, uh, it was encouraged. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's optional. No, no. Right. And then uh, I know some of the biggest movies decided to let's open up because, you know, they started getting uplifted again. And uh, and I know the biggest one, when the new Fast and Furious came out, that was one of the biggest movies that came out for the summer. And same Marvel movies like Black Widow, that's one another bigger one. Uh, no Time to Die. Yeah, I'm not, we're not sure if you're a Bond fan, but yeah, No Time to Die was I'm the biggest one. I'm a huge one. Bond fan, and that was the worst Bond movie ever. Ooh. Wait, wait, No Time to Die? <laughs> So yes, yes, that was either... Okay, maybe it's the second worst because the single worst Bond film was From Russia With Love. Okay, I need to go back. I've only seen the Daniel Craig ones. Uh, I have the collection, but I need to go back and watch them all. Okay, so the, of finding the, the worst time. Bond movie ever, and he only played Bond in the one film, but it was From Russia With Love. Wait, 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 wait. I, thought, I think it was Our Man's Secret Service. Maybe you're right. Yeah, yes. it was. It yes. was. It Our was. Our Majesty's yeah. Secret Service. Yes, that was horrible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, just a terrible movie. Uh, but yeah, when I watched the entire Bond movie, it was like, this is the worst done thing I have just ever seen for a Bond film. It was just boring. Oh yeah, yeah. That's how I felt about Spectre. So yeah. I think it was kind of like them coming well, out of that, but well, kind of It's just to like it someone got really tired. Yeah, whereas like Skyfall, that movie was like a, that was a big, oh, that was, that was cool. a big, yeah, Skyfall, Sky, right Skyfall, that was definitely a 10 out of 10. That was probably the best bomb movie I've seen in a long time. Yeah, so. better action, better uh, villain, better settings, better shooting. Uh -huh. I think uh, Roger Deakins, uh, I know I know Sam Mendes directed that one. Uh, he usually collaborates with Roger Deakins. So. Yeah. I'm also a huge Star Trek, Star Wars fan. Oh yeah? Not I know. Really. I know Star Wars never have been able to get into Star Trek. Yeah, I I, I haven't seen all the Star Trek. I've seen Beyond Star Trek Beyond. Mm -hmm. I've, seen, I've seen that one, but I, like I, I don't think I've seen. I think might have seen a couple of the old ones, but no. Like it's, it's not that I'm not interested in seeing Star Trek. It's just I it just wasn't in my. I guess so, I'm a fake fan, quote unquote, because I've only seen the J.J. Abrams one, and okay. I, I like them, but I hear they're not. They're not that tonally. They're different than like the rest of Star Trek because they're more action and they, they are. So of course, I grew up when Star Trek was on TV, right? Right. So that's my first experience, and we just rolled with that. And then the Star Trek movies. You know, that first motion picture was just not good. No, that, yeah. I, that's the only one I've seen too. I need to give the I need oh, to give yeah. Wrath of Khan a chance. Wrath of Khan was, in my opinion, the best one out of the movie series. They mm -hmm. did a really good job with that. What I'm impressed with the latest version of them is they reset in a very clever way that allowed all the fans that remembered the original cast to be able to accept mm -hmm. the new cast. Right. So it was a clever twist. And I went to those, and some friends of mine, we all went to that first one going, all right, how are they going to do this? Because I don't know that I'm going to be able to, you know, get into a new Captain Kirk and a new Spock. And a new right. And when they laid it out, it was like, oh, that was clever. Yeah. Right. You you did the alternate universe thing, but you did it really, really well. Yeah. Like when you mentioned the Star Trek, you know, switching uh, characters around. When No Time to Die came out, we realized that was supposed to be Daniel Craig's final run as Bond. 
did you think it was a proper send off to Daniel Craig or it should have just killed the series system especially the way this one ended oh I hate to you know I already gave you my opinion of that last movie so I hate to see him leave because I think he was an extremely good Bond and I mean I've watched all the Bonds from Sean Connery all the way to Daniel Craig and I thought Daniel Craig probably did um, as good a job as any of them um, so yeah they could have he could have ended on a better movie, but he got paid. Yeah, right. um, I, I thought I thought No Time to Die. It was good. No, it's not as good as Skyfall, but I I thought I I, I really enjoyed it. But yeah. I, I will say it was better than Quantum of Solace and the Spectre. Yeah, I just don't like Spectre because I think it's boring. But uh, <laughs> hey, you know that uh, movies are like everything else. They put them out there. They're going to appeal to different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're art. I mean, it, everybody's yep. going to see something different. Right. Everybody's going to go about it differently. Right. Uh, so, what is your favorite thing about being the president? Oh, I have two favorite things about being the president. Uh, the first is being able to interact with students and see the difference we're making in their lives. I mean, that that is equivalent to my experience in the classroom. So, what I always loved about a classroom was interacting with students and seeing them get it. Yeah. And move that next step. Well, I love, I had a about a half hour conversation with a student and her dad who I just happened to meet out on the sidewalk and started talking. Yeah. And hearing about their background and how they ended up in Southeast Missouri and how they chose Three Rivers and the positive experience that that student was having and the difference we were making, that just made my day. The other thing that is incredibly rewarding is the people I get to work with. We are so fortunate. We have some of the most dedicated faculty and staff that I've ever worked with that above any others, they keep the student first in their mind. The, the last question we like to end on a really good note here. Uh, what is your personal college experience like? Oh, my personal college experience? Uh-huh. I had different college experiences. So I first went to a community college. Uh, and so I'm a community college product, project, product, and it was a really great experience. It was a small college. We, the faculty knew your names. You know, you had that interaction. It was, it was a pretty positive experience. Then I went to the University of Memphis, which at the time was Memphis State University, and I learned a lot of things, uh, the difference. So the community college that I went to I went to an external location and everything was in one building. I go to Memphis State and you've got to find your way around campus. And I learned a lot from a student perspective of how not to operate things. Right. (laughs) Uh, With my first university experience. Uh, I also learned that you better get a map if you're on a big campus and find out when your eight o'clock, where your eight o'clock class is. And then the class that follows that, where it is on campus, is a really important learning piece because I didn't learn that when I first registered and I had a 10-minute run yeah. from class one to class two because uh, they were basically on opposite corners of the campus. Uh, then my experience in graduate school was completely different. Uh, I, I actually was a uh, commercial aviation and business administration major both at the University of Memphis and at the master's level. Uh, Then I had a different experience as a doctoral student at two different institutions. Of course, by that point, I'd already been teaching as an adjunct, so I understood how colleges work a lot better, so I was a lot smarter student as far as how the system worked. Uh, But they were all very positive influences on me in many, many different ways. I met a lot of people. I learned a lot of things, uh, not just in the classroom, but just about life and growth and becoming an adult, if you will, through that community college and, and university experience. Yeah, I love meeting people. Yeah. It, uh, it it what makes me want to interview people. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. And and we love uh, meeting new people. And uh, I. And I personally like how the how he or she student faculty the next uh, how to begin the chapter and end their chapter. I would love to 
see that for all of them. But yeah, it always helps to open your worldview. Exactly. Make your world a little bit bigger every day. And that's a big part of what we're, what what college does, is it expands your horizon, lets you see things that you didn't know were there. So guys, y'all have done a great job. I really applaud you for doing these podcasts. I'm so glad to be a part of it. I appreciate you coming and, and doing this with me. Well, Dr. Payne, it's been, been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been an honor, Dr. Payne. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. So. Glad to. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, this has been another episode of our Achieve podcast. I am Trent Kelsey. Jesse Johns. And away we go. Goodbye from the president's office. <laughs> Thank you.